Well, everyone, thanks for joining in with me. I got my buddy here, Sanan Ozimeski. Uh, he's a performance coach, nutrition coach, and, um, and he's got some good content for us. And so we're going to cover a bunch of different stuff today on this podcast. One of, a few of the things I want to get in is uh, just all the different diets that are out there. And there's ketogenic diets, there's paleo diets, there's Whole30, and it, if it fits your macros, there's all these different things. We're going to cover a ton. I also want to ask him about Adele. I have a question about Adele for him, which I'm sure he's prepared for. And But before we before, before we get into all that stuff, Sanan, thanks for being on the show, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to do this. I know I'm all the way on the other side of the world right now, so I'm 10 hours ahead of you. But yeah. this is perfect, man. I, I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, I picked your brain about this stuff for hours at a time. So I appreciate you getting me on this call. Of course, dude. Of course. So, hey, why don't you give our listeners a quick introduction on you, man? Like, what's your story? How'd you get into nutrition? You're also a CrossFit coach and you're obviously an out. You, you're in great, tremendous shape. So give everyone an introduction on you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, uh, I actually, you know, funny story. I didn't start out with nutrition. That wasn't my intention for um, undergrad or just college in general. And that's the funny part. You know, I, I spent about nine or 10 years growing up in, uh, in Turkey. Um, and I lived out here, you know, very close to my grandmother's farm where you know, we were bringing food from farm to table and from the fishermen to the table. Um, so it was a lot of hands-on experience, but that didn't get me quite far enough into the nutrition perspective to look into it with college. Um, so a lot of people don't know it about me, but I'll spill the beans on it. A lot of the applications or most of the applications that I sent in for college when I first applied was for interior uh, design and interior architecture. So I was nowhere near nutrition going into it. Um, but, you know, when I realized that, you know, the, the more and more I got exposure to the United States from moving over from Turkey, um, I started seeing the, you know, the, the prevalence of fast food. I started seeing um, the rates of obesity going up. Um, I started seeing kids deciding whether they want to play a sport or whether they want to sit home and not do anything. Um, and that just set off light bulbs for me, man. That was the biggest hit for me to transition from um, that field, which, you know, was a pretty standard career overseas here, um, into talking about nutrition and really digging into the science behind it. And I think that's where the science part took off, where I became just a science nerd. And, you know, I just love studying, you know, how food goes into your body and breaks down and how we pull the energy out of it. So that's, that's really where things kicked off. And since then, it's just been nonstop research for me. You know me, man, if I'm not doing some kind of a sport or if I'm not out there working out, I'm behind the books doing some kind of research. So that's really yeah. how I got into it. Um, yeah. A little you know, kind of snippet about me getting into it like that. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's fascinating. I mean, coming from, you know, you get the outside perspective, look again, and you get to look mm -hmm. in at the American culture and see, you know, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, all these different things. It's funny. I was in uh, Bangalore, India uh, last year, and I got to go, you know, I, you know, I don't know what you picture when you picture India. I mean, you, maybe you've been there. I I was blown away by the amount of American influence, you know, the McDonald's, the McNahara burger. You know, they don't eat beef, but they've got <laughs> they've got their own versions of, of sandwiches. So, I mean, talk a little bit about that, man. What was it like stepping in and seeing not just the fast food and some of that stuff, but also the effect it was having on people here in America with the obesity rates and the chronic disease? For sure, man. That's I think that was one of the biggest eye openers for me was, you know, 2001, 2002, when I moved over there, I didn't speak a, 
a drop of English. So that was kind of fun to go over there and, you know, just learn the language from scratch. But as I always learned the language, you know, I think food was a, a huge piece of it. You know, it, one, you were watching TV, you're watching TV shows to learn the language. But, you know, as much as we try to avoid it, between every single episode of a TV show, there's, you know, 30 to 40 fast food chain commercials, which you would never see overseas here. Um, so when I came over there, I was like, hey, listen, man, I'm trying to learn how to speak English from watching friends on TV. But at this point, I've, you know, mastered how to say Whopper, or, you know, McNuggets. <laughs> than I, I've mastered how to talk some of the English that I've learned from the show. So I think just the, the prevalence of, you know, fast food in general and how much they were trying to appeal to people. And I think just the marketing power behind it was what got me, you know, just blown up out of, out of proportion with it because, you know, here, like you said, in India too, here, when you think about fast food, it's more of a, a social status, as scary as that sounds. Um, wow. you, know, you have people going to McDonald's or carrying McDonald's bags or, you know, even with, with certain, you know, coffee places, you have people carrying coffee cups around just to have that in hand. Um, so the prevalence isn't high. You know, the cuisine itself is super good, super delicious and very cheap. Um, so for me to go and eat something that's far healthier here, um, and that's, you know, more Turkish cuisine, like, you know, a shish kebab or a gyro or anything like that is significantly cheaper than me going out and getting fast food. It's essentially, it's not fast food here. It's just more so, uh, I, I don't want to term it fat food, but it's just food that we, we don't want. But, you know, when I came into the U.S., it was like, hey, listen, it's cheap. It's every single corner. And you know, there's such a marketing pitch behind it. So how do you avoid it? Yeah, no, no, no kidding. I mean, you could watch Super Bowl. I mean, these companies are incredibly smart economically and they don't sink millions of dollars into advertising if, if there's not an ROI. And so there is an ROI to some of these, like even these like Super Bowl commercials where they're spending several million dollars on, you know, a Whopper ad with Jennifer Aniston in it or whatever, what you mentioned, friends, you know, whatever it is in, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're sending people. I'm curious to know though, like coming from Turkey, I, I presume, I don't know, I don't know very much about Turkey. I presume the food quality you know, is probably less tainted with than maybe an American manufacturing. Inform us on that. Like, what's the difference in terms of quality? Like, is the food hyper-processed there? You said food was really horrible, you know, fat food instead of fast food. So speak a little on that. In terms of, you want to know more fast food or the just, well, just culture the, in general? Even just the comparison between the two. Like, so in America, right, our general food, you know, our grains are manipulated, our dairy obviously yeah. is manipulated, industrialized meat. What's the food quality like in other countries, specifically Turkey? Um, yeah, man, I think I, I think just food quality is it, is super good in terms of, you know, people, it, the, the land is super fertile to begin with. So any of the food that we get here is from the country or within the country. Um, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of import and export when it comes to food because the country feels I guess they feel more proud that they're able to produce the stuff that, you know, that we consume. So we know it's yeah. within, you know, boundaries of the country. We know that, you know, the fish is coming straight from the Mediterranean. Um, you know, a, a lot of the middle of the country is where the cattle is being produced for meat. Um, the chickens are local. And like I said, you know, you from one end of Turkey to the other end of Turkey, you'll have a complete different agriculture. So a lot of stuff is accessible. You don't have a lot of stuff that, you know, we still look at with GMOs and, uh, you know, with GDOs. It's we'll, we'll see things like, you know, peanuts coming in um, and just, you know, more corn, um, rice. A couple of those things still get screened pretty hard just to make sure that there's no, um, you know, 
I, I guess tainted material coming in um, as far as GMOs, like I said, but a lot of the products just, it, it's super good, man. That's one of the, the biggest things that I say to people is, you know, when I'm overseas, when I'm back in the US, um, I feel like I'm lactose intolerant because dairy just doesn't sit well with me for the sheer fact that it's so processed overseas. Um, right. And like even whey products, you know, when I come over there, it's most of the protein that I consume is plant-based proteins and I'll go straight for the vegan mm -hmm. protein just to make sure it sits better. Um, wow. But when I come here, I could literally eat a block of cheese and it doesn't feel like it does anything to me because it's, it's you know, pure dairy base and it's from a farmer, it's from a local dairy farm that I know is just farm to box to your house, so. That's fascinating, yeah, because that's kind of the big thing. Americans are finally starting to catch on now that, hey, our food quality does matter. It's not just quantity. I and mean, we've done a lot of calorie counting and, you know, that, that has its value. Sure. But when it comes to the actual quality of meat, the quality of dairy, I mean, so there's lots of celiac disease in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a more of a modern disease. And why is that? And there's lots of different dairy intolerances. And so to see, I mean, I've, I've talked to some friends have gone to Europe and have had croissants in various countries and been totally fine processing those. And then in America, you pick up some croissants from a bakery and, you know, you've got a headache and you're bloated. So it's Absolutely. just a wild thing. And it's crazy, man. It's, you know, when you talk about croissants and, you know, some of the croissants I think about in the U.S., you know, they'll last on your counter for four weeks and they don't look bad. And here it's like, Seriously. Uh, the bakeries won't sell it to you the night of because they're like, hey, listen, it was fresh this morning. I'm not going to sell it to you now because you're not going to enjoy it. So it's it's nuts to have that kind of comparison. And I think, you know, tailing off of what you're saying too, it's just, there's so much demand within the U.S. that, um, you know, we have to produce, produce, produce to meet that demand where here it's, people will mold closer or more around what is consumable. So if there's some kind of food, they're like, hey, listen, this year, Turkey's producing a lot of, you know, mandarins and oranges, then we'll eat more oranges and mandarins. It's not like, no, nah, I don't want that. I want peaches. So let's mass produce peaches somehow with GMOs because that's all I want. So people are a lot better at structuring their eating pattern around what the country is producing. And I think that's what makes a huge impact. That, that's fat. That's fascinating. Cause you know, a lot, a lot of what this podcast is about is eating kind of within the natural rhythms of what the world produces. And so if something's in season, you know, where you live, then that's something you eat more of. And if it's not in season, you don't import it from halfway around the world and then, you know, manipulate it so you can, produce it. And, you know, if you notice some of these like apples and oranges, or, you know, if you just eat like conventional fruit from a grocery store in America, it just doesn't have a lot of flavor. And I remember going to Belize uh, not too long ago and eating some of their grapes. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever had. I don't know if I'd ever eat a piece of candy if these had existed in America. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's, it, it's crazy to see how people mold their eating patterns around what's about to go out of season. Like, you know, when tomatoes were about to go out of season or when figs were about to go out of season. Like I posted some videos from farmer's markets on my social media that you, you'll see people just flocking to the, you know, the guys that'll, you know, label their farmer's market stand. Hey, listen, last, you know, last batch of um, figs before we have to go into a greenhouse or last batch of tomatoes before, you know, the field shuts down and we go greenhouse. So just, you know, for example, Wednesday, I was at a farmer's market here, um, and tomatoes were flying left and right because they were like, hey, listen, this is the last batch of crops. Everything else you get from here is going to be greenhouse. Um, mm. And, you know, in, in the U.S., you'd be like, hey, listen, I, I go into a Costco or, you know, anywhere that I shop at and I see that it's greenhouse, but they look good. They smell good. And, you know, they're going to be 
flavorful regardless. And that's the scary right. part that we've gotten so used to that being flavorful that, you know, here you have people that have become so good with it and so knowledgeable with it that they'll reach for a tomato. They're like, yeah, this looks good, but is this from a farmer? Is this from the greenhouse? And the farmers are honest enough to say like, hey, listen, the things are out of season right now. So it's from a greenhouse. And they're genuinely not upset by you putting it down and walking away. Wow. That's fast. So like, just be straight with me. Is there a real tangible difference in the quality of food biologically? I think so. Yeah, okay. I definitely think so, man. And that, you know, when you think about it from produce, it's maybe not as significant. Um, and I, I'm sure it is. I just, I don't know the, the science behind produce, but when it comes to, you know, meat or fish, that's one of the biggest, you know, researches that I did um, in undergrad was comparing, you know, um, tilapia that's farmed in comparison to, you know, say something else. So it was more so, do we get more benefits out of a, so, you know, a grass fed bacon yeah. versus tilapia that comes out of a farm. And it's just, it, it mass produces so much that we're almost better off going with the option that in, yeah, technically people's eyes would be the unhealthier option, but we, we don't realize how much mass production does to, you know, waning off the nutritional benefits of the ingredient. Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, I remember going to Winco, which they have on like the West Coast in the United States. It's not a great, it's not a, a grocery store I go to very often, but, you know, they, I, I remember doing that when I was in college and I'd go to Winco and they'd have tilapia and you could get eight tilapia steaks for $1.99. And it's like, and then you're in college, you're like, oh, that's healthy. It's lean meat. But just to think about the other biological effects of eating farm fish and some of the junk that they're eating and, and what that does, even to the environment. I mean, that's that's kind of scary to think about that. You know, and maybe some of the conventional wisdom or surrounding nutrition about pastured bacon and grass-fed beef, as opposed to just chicken or fish without any sort of markers. Maybe some of that needs to change. What are your thoughts on some of the labels that we kind of been giving some of the food as, it, you know, when we talk about, you know, cage-free eggs and organic eggs and are these marketing ploys or some of these legit? I think it's a, a happy medium between both, man. I think there's companies out there that are definitely putting it on there for legit reason. They want to educate the customers. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's so hard to decide what's the, the you know, what's that fine line of, Hey, listen, you know, we're doing this to make sure that customers are aware of what they're buying and they know what the story behind the ingredient they put on the table is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you have companies that, that see this, you know, good act and they're like, Hey, listen, they, those guys are being honest. So why don't we just hide behind their honesty and, you know, market our product the same way. So, you know, I, I think it's just a super scary piece at this point for people to wow. base their decisions off of. Um, just because we're seeing some companies that still are in the process of getting screened and screened out of the market. Um, but, you know, I, I think more so than not, we do have companies that are honest at this point. And I think we've come to a place where it's, it's definitely more for the benefit than a market pitch right now. Um, but I think it, it's definitely, you know, when, when finances especially come into play, you know, when we're looking at budget shopping, um, I think it's, it's good for people to realize, you know, what cage free actually does mean or what, you know, free range really does mean and what, you know, what benefits you're trying to get out of it. So. All right, Sanan. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, a hypothetical, you've got a client that, you know, shows up and their, their issue is 
man, things are so expensive. Like that's the issue, right? I just explained that. And so what do you say to someone who comes up to you and is like, you know what? I want to eat healthy. I know what you're saying about high quality food. I know what you're saying about grass-fed beef and maybe even like wild-caught fish or better quality eggs. Like I just can't afford it. What do you, what do you say to that person? Yeah, man, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is I've had exposure to that through, um, you know, working with the college, um, I guess more the college population, the college budget. And that's the way I like to approach it all the time. You know, how do we go into it from a perspective that we spend the least amount of money on food, but we still make sure that the food quality is there. So um, I'll start with kind of just dovetailing off of what you said before. It's more of the environment that you're around. So what, you know, what food environment, what food atmosphere are you close to? So if somebody's coastal, I'm going to usually tell them, hey, listen, don't worry about the, the you know, wild caught fish perspective, because mm-hmm. a lot of the fish that's coming on board is probably close to you since you're right on the coast. Um, you know, if you're somewhere inland where there's a lot of cattle production, a lot of chicken, um, yeah. eggs, I'm probably just going to say, hey, let's go to a farmer's market. Don't worry so much about cage-free or, you know, grass-fed or just any of that stuff. Um, because the quality of the meat or the quality of the chicken you're going to get is going to be local and significantly higher quality than you would in a city anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing is with the ingredients that you can bump up to organic or non-GMO or certain things like that, I would say to do it, but it's just going to be a matter of, you know, looking at what they eat throughout the day um, and figuring out two or three things that we can slowly tune in at a time, you know, whether it's, the biggest thing that comes to mind is soy or corn products. You know, we're looking at 96, 97% of those products being GMO at this point, just keep up the volume. So how do we replace some of the things, you know, if you're drinking soy milk, uh, if you have corn in your diet, can we just make sure that those are, you know, non-GMO and organic for now? Um, Mm -hmm. Even certain fruits, like, you know, apples, I think apples are just mass produced at this point in the U S too. So maybe we, you know, bump those little things to organic um, and we slowly build our way up that way because, like you said, if I tell somebody, hey, listen, you know, organic or bust, you know, I'm not taking you as a client unless you're eating all grass-fed. Um, I think, one, that's just going to drive them to a very thin place budget-wise. And I think that's going to drive them to a place where if they get exposure to eating just like that and then say they go on a three- or four-day vacation and, you know, they, they don't know where the food's coming from, it's going to drive them nuts, so. Yeah. And there's a mental component to it. You know, I, I, one of the common objections to eating healthy is this idea that, you know, eating healthy, you know, just even just dollar for dollar is more expensive. And so if you go, I can go, I can go to a grocery store with $8. I can't buy anything, but if I have eight bucks, man, I can get a value menu. I can get a milkshake from Wendy's or McDonald's and I can, I can feed my entire family with, you know, 15 bucks. Like, would you agree with that? I mean, calorically, if we looked at it on paper, yeah, but beneficially, <laughs> um, that's the thing, man. That's, I think, one of the things where I think 2017, I wrote a blog article that, you know, caught a lot of traction. It was, if you can go into a grocery store $15 on hand and you have to feed a family of four, um, you know, what are the, the main takeaways that you would walk out with? And, you know, you look at it from a macronutrient perspective, you know, how can you fill the carbs? How can you fill the protein and get some good fats in with that meal? Um but at the same time, you're still closing out under $15. So for that same price that you would go and get your milkshake and you would get your, you know, happy meal and walk out with those, you could also go for a rotisserie chicken, which is what, $4.99 at this point at the grocery store. That's enough to mm-hmm. feed three or four people. 
um, and you go and look at the produce and you buy a vegetable tray, uh, like a party tray that you would bring to a, a, you know, an event. And even certain grocery stores, they'll have veggie trays that are from two days out, which they aren't bad, but they're just not visually appealing and they're 50% off. So you're going to walk out with a lot more, I guess, per se nutrients from that angle uh, in comparison to calories and I guess good smelling food because you're going to go for <laughs> something that comes in a, you know, a happy bag. So I, I yeah. definitely think, you know, people have the idea of you can definitely fit a lot more calories in from the, the fast food perspective, but you can also feel a lot worse afterwards from the fast food perspective. Yeah. And I think it's important to acknowledge this other stuff at play. You know, there's these, these sort of uh, smells that somehow are exactly the same, no matter where you go around the world, you know, McDonald's yeah. smells the same and tastes the same. And so there's all these additives and preservatives and um, these various things. I mean, I remember the whole, you know, chicken nuggets fiasco a couple of years ago. And I was just like, what is this paste? And uh, supposedly they've swapped that out for real chicken at this point. <laughs> um, but I don't really know. But I think that's that's important to know. And so if you go to a produce section, you can get a couple sweet potatoes, a bag of rice even down down the uh, the rice aisle. You can get some chicken. Like you mentioned, a rotisserie chicken, a great idea. And, you know, some vegetables for relatively cheap. Now, of course, it isn't, it doesn't have that McDonald's feel, right? But it, yeah. you also don't feel as terrible after you eat it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you walk out of there. I mean, if, if we were to do the math, like you said, with the rice and the chicken, you would walk out of there probably same calories um, uh, in a better way, though. I mean, the, the way that the, the answers that I got from a lot of the college students when I threw that question out there was, you know, they mm -hmm. said, let's go for a big can of chickpeas or black beans. Let's go for the, the microwave rice, like you said, and let's just go for rotisserie chicken. Mm -hmm. That right there, obviously, it's, it's almost a diet pattern that I would give you know, some of my bigger athletes too. So it's like, hey, listen, you, you guys are thinking already yeah. ahead of the curve by you know cutting back on budget and being able to build volume out of healthy food that comes out to the same price as you would, you know, volume per bite for fast food, but yeah. not volume per nutrient. No, that's that's really interesting you say that yeah cans of beans things like that i'm curious to know though kind of making a little bit of a transition we're already talking about maybe potential client pitfalls like what are some of the things that they're they're falling into one of them might be you know i want to eat higher quality food but i can't afford it curious to know like what are some other ones i'm sure you've probably heard every excuse in the book um so i mean you gotta you gotta share a little bit absolutely man i think uh the biggest problem that you know people run into is they put too much on their plate at once. And I don't mean that in a pun way. Um, <laughs> I think people just don't realize that nutrition and proper nutrition is just 20% nutrition, 80% psychology. Um, and th that just plays such a big part that a lot of people don't undermine when they come into cleaning up their diet and cleaning up their act. You know, we, we live in a country where, you know, 60% of people report, you know, feeling daily stress or just anxiety and overwhelm. Um, mm -hmm. And you have between, you know, I think every single year we get like 27 to 35% of people report that they, you know, overeat or they eat out of their healthy boundaries because they're stressed out. So wow. if we're in a place where, you know, we're talking 60% of people feel <clears throat> to throw a diet at somebody um, and to say that, you know, hey, I'm throwing this diet at you. Um, let's see if we can hit every single nail on the head. Mm -hmm. I think there's just going to be a huge piece of overwhelm at that point. That's going to pull people off that program. That's the scariest part of it. 
Yeah, that's important probably as a coach is, you know, you want to encourage them to do the right things. But, you know, most people aren't don't have a military background or professional sports background and they're not used to you know, being reprimanded for, you know, little things, things they eat. And so part of the coaching process seems to be, you know, what's what's going to make them most successful. And maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's a, a little bit goes a long way. Uh, is that something you experience? Yeah, I definitely think so, man. I think it's it, it, I always approach it from the perspective that, you know, there's two ends of the spectrum, you know, it's one, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And you can have those people who, like you said, with the military background or, you know, with a professional sports background, those people who come out sprinting a full marathon. Um, and those are the heavy hitters. Those are the people <laughs> that we, we love. And they're like, the, you know, one in a millions. But at the same time, you want to think of it as, you know, we have all these steps outlined and on the first, you know, initial conversation with you, um, you know, essentially what we're trying to do with, you know, with nutrition is just sell better lives. So, when I have a conversation with you and I, I outline all these things that I want you to change over the course of the next 12, 26, or 52 weeks, mm. um, I, my, my goal is not to sit you down that day and just say, hey, listen, you're going to hit every single one of these on the head by next week and we'll be golden and maybe I'll check in with you once a week. Um, that to me just says that you know, you're trying to dodge a client and you're trying to set them up with things for the future, but not necessarily be there for the 80% psychology that we just talked about. So how do you approach it from a a perspective where you have this entire grand staircase in front of you, but instead of overwhelming the client by throwing them at the grand staircase in general, you just show them one single step at a time, because in order for them to get to the top, they're going to have to figure out, you know, how do you get to one step, get both your feet stable, feel comfortable there, and then climb to the next step and work your way up, you know, essentially from there. So it's all habits that build upon each other. It's not necessarily, you know, do it all or get out. So what do you think about this idea of social media and Instagram, you know, maybe for you know, some people, TikTok, and there's, it's such a performative social media now. And there is this, there's this element of, you know, you have to look good and there's all sorts of different apps that you can just tweak your facial, you know, your airbrush, your face. And do you, do you ever find that that might play a role in the development of a client or maybe even just your own opinion? If you haven't seen that, what do you think that might do to someone who is you know looking at social media all the time, seeing different people, seeing these supermodels, and seeing people, by the way, who don't even you know who aren't even that, aren't don't even look like the way they actually appear on social media, and so they're they're absorbing all these different these different things through you know through their eyes, and then all of a sudden they come to you and they're like, man, I I want to look like that, but they don't have any sort of principles, and I'm just curious to know what do you think the effect of social media is on people as they you know look to look to get better at diet and exercise and to lose weight. Yeah, I, I think social media has a huge hand in one of the, I guess one of the biggest pitfalls of it all, and that's comparing yourself to others. I always mm-hmm. say, you know, if you're going to progress and you're going to get better, you always compare yourself to yourself. Um, and you know, right. when we talk about nutrition as a lifestyle change, it's can you get 1% better every single day? Um, rather than can you look like this person you follow on social media because (laughs) you don't know everything that goes on in their life and like you said you don't even know if they're the same person that you see in that picture so you know again it's not and maybe as significant as like a catfish of like hey listen i see this person and i I definitely know that's what they look like but it's totally not that person but you also don't know again I, i keep going back to the psychology realm but you also don't know what that person's dealing with so for a mother of four who works two jobs and is you know, right. dealing with a, a recent outbreak is 
you know, it's going to have a much tougher time trying to look like, you know, a female figure on social media that may even be like, as scary as this sounds, may, may even pitch it as like a mother of four and they don't even have kids. You know what I mean? Like I've seen it wow. go to that extent. And I think just people, when they compare, it automatically sets this thing in their head that, you know, if they don't get there within a certain time that they put in their head, they're failing at life. And mm -hmm. if they are, you know, aware and if they're making conscious steps to get healthier every single day, there's the, the word failure doesn't even exist in their dictionary. So I think social media has that impact of really messing with people's head. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You know, social media and and comparison produces sameness. And we're not all the same. You know, we weren't created the same. Our body types are different, our metabolisms, our ability to burn fat. And there's genetic factors, there's behavioral factors, environmental factors, and there's all sorts of different reasons. But social media makes us feel like we can all kind of at least aspire to be this sort of really in shape bodybuilding CrossFit guy or you know, really great looking model. And, you know, it, again, some of those people don't even look like that good. And so um, it's just, it's a really fascinating subject. And I wonder the effects on someone like you mentioned, who isn't getting results, you know, they're with you for eight months, eight weeks, 10 weeks. And they're saying, Sanon, man, I, I'm not seeing the results I'm expecting this early. And so maybe that causes them to jump off the plan or what, have you seen anything like that? Or what have you been able to say to people to convince them to continue? Absolutely, man. I, I, again, it goes back to that same thing of, you know, Hey, just, you know, the, the little things that we're making right now are, are lifestyle changes rather than, you know, vanity steps that we're taking towards becoming a you know, better looking version of ourselves. So sure. We want to look better in a bathing suit. Sure. We want to look better, you know, without our shirt on, or at the same time, we're comparing ourselves to, you know, say subject a over here. So while you want to look like subject a in eight weeks, you know, there's, a lot of things you got to realize one they didn't get to how they look within eight weeks maybe um mm -hmm. so there's a lot of play there and i think one of the biggest things too is just you know it's again i, I think about the thing of their lifestyle changes and lifestyle habits so the slower right. you drill something in the more sustainable it's going to be for a lifetime so a lot of people yeah. like you said do compare themselves to that you know i want it now and i wanted it yesterday goal where from a nutrition perspective, we look at it as, hey, listen, I, I'm making you, you know, change these certain habits and certain lifestyle approaches to benefit you in the long run. And not only do that, but also benefit your kids and benefit, you know, people behind you that, that, that follow your every single step. So I definitely do see a lot of kickback from the vanity piece of it. A lot of people say, hey, listen, you know, this person subject they on Instagram said they lost you know 40 pounds in three weeks while right. you know, I lost three pounds in three weeks. And you have to explain to them like, Hey, listen, you know, three pounds in three weeks is a really good progression. 40 pounds yeah. in three weeks is where we would have that very strict conversation of like, Hey, listen, what the heck is going on? We got to figure something out. So I think social <laughs> media has that kind of a, an issue um, that it creates with a lot of members because it, mm -hmm it creates an expectation that's not realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You have this idea of like, you know, they, they did it. Why can't I? And it's like, yeah, yeah. they did it, but did they really? So. Well, it, what you said is really, really pointed because you know, this is, health in general, wellness in general really is a lifelong 
goal. And it's, and if you want to learn the proper steps, like you mentioned, don't give them the whole stair, throw them at the whole staircase. Fantastic analogy. Give them one step at a time. That's really how you're setting yourself up for longevity anyway. So if you want to live a life that's full of wellness and health and great eating habits, it lives long and it's stress as low stress. That's the way you want to do it. But if you, you know, if you get into the habit of doing crash diets to look like a model or a bodybuilder or whatever on Instagram, um, you know, I mean, even studies have shown the rebound effect of those diets, those, that, that weight typically comes right back and, and even faster. Absolutely. That's just, yeah, oh. I think that's the scary part of it is you know, <laughs> yeah. we dive into it thinking, Hey, listen, if I want to do something, I want to do it in three weeks and I'm out. So that's, I mean, it's just, it's, it tails off of how quickly people give up on diets as well. You know what I mean? If somebody goes into a mm-hmm. diet, they want results quick. And if they don't see results, they're just going to open the door and get out. So yeah, for us to be able to provide, it's just, it's such a tough line as a coach to say like, Hey, listen, you know, I, I promise you it's coming, but yeah. while they're looking at the, Hey, listen, you know, promise doesn't mean anything if I'm not seeing a six pack in two weeks. So, yeah, well, I mean, if it took you 47 years to look like this, it's going to take us a little bit of time to undo it. You know what I'm saying? So exactly. for sure. let's be realistic. Now you did mention, you know, that. Yeah, I'm sure this is one of the reasons people fall off diets. Um, you, you, is there any others? You know, is it are people getting lazy on diets? Do they just lose motivation? Like, what are some of the other things you're seeing why people probably fail achieving some of those health and wellness goals they have? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a lot of, you know, there, if, if we were to pin three, there's so many that I go on forever. But if we were to pin three biggest ones that I see in my field, um, I would say it's definitely comparing yourself to others. Um, that's one of the things that I would initially just start out by saying, Hey, listen, you know, never, ever compare yourself to others because the, you know, pick and drop setting that you're in yourself is not the same as anybody else. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, we're all unique individuals and to chase perfection is probably the most dangerous thing people do. Um, you know, we want to wow. chase progress, not perfection. And, you know, while, mm. you know, athletes always put out this idea of chasing excellence, it's, can we get better 1% every single day? Because that's essentially, you know. 10 years down the road, that's going to make us the best version of ourselves that we can be. So definitely not comparing yourself to others. Um, Another one is motivation. Um, There is going Mm -hmm. to be a little bit of a roller coaster throughout the year with all the external variables um, that, you know, we have to keep igniting a little fire under people's butt to, you know, stay on top of motivation. And I think Mm -hmm. while one-on-one accountability is key, I think group accountability is huge as well. So can people create wow. a buddy system amongst friends that are losing weight? Can people, um, you know, join a gym, join a program that a lot of like-minded people are together under the same roof. So it's, there's that accountability, mm-hmm. you know, as a coach, if I'm, you know, up from 5 a.m. till 10 p.m., I would love to get my accountability in that entire time alone. But mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's the 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. that people need the extra accountability. And I think the more the more people you expose yourself to um, that are like-minded and that same idea, the more you're going to get the fire behind you. That's fascinating. I mean, you're seeing rises in things like group classes, you know, Orange Theory and CrossFit and things like that. But thinking about a group accountability for nutrition is like a fantastic idea. And someone's got to monetize this. Maybe you already have, Sanan. Maybe you're already doing that, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough though, man. It's again, goes into the same thing of how do we go into this minefield of saying, hey, listen, we have to be in a group. We have to keep each other group accountable. 
But mm -hmm. as soon as I throw you and I in the same room and I say, hey, listen, you have to be accountable with Eddie. Um, and then we have Eddie who looks fantastic compared to me. I go initially right into the step of like, hey, listen, how do I, you know, I keep vanity comparing myself to how good he looks versus wow. how I look. So why should I eat the way he does? So there's a lot, I think, again, circling back to the social media thing, I think social media is the, the biggest driver of that. You know, we, mm -hmm. we always say like, hey, you know, that CrossFit gym looks cool because everybody's just jacked. So, yeah. you know, so if somebody's not jacked, the last thing they're going to want to do is go to that CrossFit gym. So it, it's right. how do we find group accountability of people that are like-minded, but there's no fear of law or loss of motivation because they're going to feel left out of that group. You know, you want to make sure it's, you know, over-encompassing everybody to just push one step further rather than, you know, come in and say, hey, we're doing this drill sergeant. And, you know, if you don't do it, get out. So I think that's, that's I, one of the biggest perspectives. I, I'm a huge fan of getting coaching, getting help, getting accountability. In my life, you know, former professional athlete, you know, I think the best, the times where I've had the most success physically, whether it's nutritionally or whether it's just, you know, lifting weights or running conditioning has been when I've hired somebody to help me do it, whether that's a nutritionist, a coach, uh, a chiropractor, you know, so many people are so self-sufficient, you know, and they're like, well, I've got YouTube. I can just figure out how to put the diet together. And I got blogs and I, I download a free PDF and all good to go. And maybe, maybe that's sufficient initially, but I think like you're talking about this accountability over time is going to going to eventually become necessary. And so for me, the times where I've had the most success has been when I've had to kind of report to someone, not in like a, you know, a, some sort of dictatorial way, but in a way that's like helpful and kind and asking lots of questions and being coachable as a person. And those are all things that have helped. Absolutely. And I mean, if it was at a point where you could go and pull a PDF, you can go pull a YouTube video. Um, I would go back to interior design at that point because I would have a job. Um, <laughs> right. And the thing is, you know, it really is that accountability. It really is having somebody on the other side. And I think that's where a real coach comes into perspective. Like you said, you know, if you have somebody on the other side to email, it's cool, but it's so electronic and inorganic that you're like, hey, listen, I'm going to send this person an email, but we'll see if customer service gets back to us. And at yeah. that point, it's like, hey, what genuine connection do I really have with this person? Do they really care about me? Um and that's the scariest part of it. You know, when I came into the nutrition field, I talked to a lot of people who own their own, you know, nutrition coaching business. And they said, hey, listen, the more and more companies we can get under this industry, um, the more and more lives we can change and better. So mm -hmm. it, it's so nice to see it just being, you know, everyone helping each other, um, that it, it makes a big impact. So I think, like you said, that, you know, the biggest success that I've had with members has been more of the, the genuine connection and the friendship rather than the, the dictatorial part, you know, it's just, <laughs> if I can have a conversation with somebody that shoots me a text, even I, this is probably over the top and crazy for a lot of people, but I'll have members that'll shoot me a text and they're like, Hey, listen, 20 minute wait for a table. We're at this restaurant. What do you think I should eat? And I'm like, dude, you know, some people, I say that to some people that are in, you know, some of the nutrition classes that I TA for at Penn State. And they're like, mm -hmm. dude, that's absurd. Like what, that is way beyond boundaries. And I'm like, no, it's not because one, I, you know, know what to get next time I go to that restaurant if I was to try it. And two, right. you can educate somebody so hard in 30 seconds that when mm -hmm. they sit down, they're like, hey, I know exactly what I want because I, you know, it's going to fit my macros and it's going to fit what my eating pattern looks like. 
system. And, and that's really how we how we learn and receive information. You know, it's sometimes we, do, you know, classrooms have value, obviously, but, you know, that's not how all of us best receive that information. Sometimes it's in a relational structure where we're, you know, you, hey, like, what should I get? I'm at Qdoba and I don't want to eat the burrito. Like, what? What it what it, what can I get? Or hey, I'm you know I'm forced to go to Applebee's. You know I'm with a bunch of friends. Is there anything I could eat here? Um, you know, and so that sort of that that sort of coaching and in, in that relationship, man, that's a great way for people to learn and gather information. Total. Yeah, it's hands on, right on spot. So I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing about it, and that's what makes people pump the brakes for a second and realize that it's mm-hmm. not just hey, I'm going to send an email and maybe I'll get an email back in 12 hours. You know, it's more so <laughs> do I have a connection with my coach where I could you know, and they'll start setting their own boundaries too. They'll say like, hey, listen, you know, it's Saturday night. I'm not going to bug my coach, so. I'll make the best decision and come Monday, I'll have a, you know, educational conversation with my coach to figure out if these were the right options or if there's a better approach I could take for the next time I go into a party situation like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same time, they feel comfortable enough that they're like, Hey, listen, coach, you know, I, I think this is my step and this is what I should do, but I just want to run it by you. So when you get a chance, you know, can you shoot me a text and let me know if these are the right decisions? And, you know, nine times out of 10, if they have that kind of genuine connection with you, they're yeah. at a place foundationally and educationally that they've, you know, they've made the right decision anyway. And all you have to say is that you, you have it set up to crush, you know, just, just go out there, enjoy it and do what you've already outlined for yourself because you're spot on. So. Good word, brother. Let's shift gears a little bit. Coach Sanan, um, I'm listening to this and I hear a ton about, Keto diets, low carb diets, vegetarian, vegan, Mediterranean, Whole Thirty, you know, I I F Y M, you know, and I'm and I'm like, what do I? I don't know where to start with these. So let's just play a little game. Like I'm just gonna throw out one of these, and I just want you to like give me the basics of the diet, and then what you think about it. So we're gonna like just put you. I'll go back and forth with you. Don't worry. I'll take some blame in this, but let me just throw out the most popular one: keto. So keto diet. What what is a keto diet? And is it effective? Does it work? And should we try it? Uh, so a keto diet is essentially it's cutting back carbohydrates enough to put yourself in ketosis. Um, it's bringing up fats, bringing up protein. So it's essentially just running a fat and protein diet um, hard enough that, you know, you, you can push yourself to have enough energy to get through today. Um, do I think keto is effective if you have a short term goal that you're trying to cut for um, in a not super safe way? Um, so if you have, say, a, the biggest time or biggest example, I see keto party or keto parties, um, keto <laughs> diets with is, you know, I'll have a lot of college friends reach out to me and they'll say, hey, I have a bachelor party coming up in five days. How do I cut? And before I can even answer, they're like, hey, listen, I think I'm just going to do keto. Um, <laughs> so short term, um, there's a lot of drop and a lot of cut coming out of it. Uh, and, you know, I, not going to knock on keto because I love the fact that keto makes us understand the amount of unnecessary carbs we sometimes, you know, reach for out of boredom. Sure. But is it something that's sustainable more than maybe, you know, 10 or 14 days? Uh, not necessarily because that's just going to, you know, wean on your body so much. So. There we go. I was muted. Sorry about that. So um, there's a whole lot of talk between, um, you know, dirty keto uh, which is kind of like this sort of sour cream, you know, <laughs> cheddar cheese from the, you know, and they go into McDonald's and eating the cheese, the burger and the cheese. So when you say keto diet, that technically is ketogenic diet, right? But it's yeah, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to say, you know, if somebody tells me that they're on a, 
a dirty anything diet to begin with. Um, I'm probably just going to pull out the red flags and start swinging those around. And, you know, it circles back to the same conversation we had in the beginning of this, you know, food quality. You know, how do you, how can you cheat a system so hard that you have the worst food quality and you still expect to see that scale drop and sustain at a lower weight? So. Yeah. Yeah. And you mean, I've, I've seen studies um, from different doctors uh, regarding, you know, ketogenic diets, you know, incredibly high ketogenic diets for, you know, starving tumors, you know, related to cancer. I think it's Dominic D'Agostino has done some studies on that. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like there's some merit for ketosis in regards to, you know, the sugar and it relates to tumors. I don't know if you know much about that. What are your thoughts? Absolutely, man. I, I think there's, you know, medical research wise, there's a lot in terms of, um, you know, I know there's a lot of cancer research and that's essentially how keto, I, I believe, came you know, abroad and how it, how it started to begin with. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, it goes back to the example of it took you 47 years to get here with your body. It's not going to take 47 minutes to change. Um, right. The biggest thing is people have eaten carbohydrates and they've probably eaten an overabundance of carbohydrates leading to that point where they decided to do keto. So for somebody who's 28 years old, say, you know, for me to just say, hey, I'm going to pump the brakes on every single fruit and every single, you know, quinoa and rice and everything I've eaten to this point and change my diet completely. I think, you know, if there's no medical need or medical, you know, monitoring behind it, I think it can put you in a really dangerous spot. So, yeah. So maybe ketogenic diets can have some work in terms of fat loss and weight loss short term for a goal, probably not the most healthy diet, especially long term um, because of all the effects. I mean, I've seen some of the effects of, you know, lack of sleep, sleep being affected by it, um, all, all sorts of stuff. So, all right. What, say that again. There's a lot of hormonal imbalance that's created okay. by keto as well. Yeah. See, so that there's a lot of issues there. So maybe if you don't have a tumor and you're not going to a bachelor party, <laughs> maybe you yeah. avoid it. And if you have both then Hey, YOLO, I guess. Hey, let's move on to the next, the next one. So keto is real popular. You know, there's a real, there's a resurgence of vegans, you know, and I'm from the Bay area. And the vegans are all over the place. I mean, goodness gracious. If, a, if, a, if an atomic bomb hits the Bay Area, cockroaches, rodents, and vegans will be the only things left. So give me the spiel on vegans. The, di- the vegan diet, is it helpful? Is it effective for people? Yeah, I mean, is that before or after the documentary? So, um, and You choose. I, I think the thing, um, I mean, it, it's crazy because I can – almost push for the vegan and vegetarian side of it now that I'm overseas and I'm seeing it, you know, produce like this. Um, but I do feel like, you know, the vegan and vegetarian diet, I, I like to go more on the, the side of vegetarian because, um, you know, you have more tune or more in tune with what you're consuming and you're not constantly chasing ingredients that are, you know, meat replicants, you know, how do you substitute certain things that I think the funkiest thing that I'll just dive right into is that, Vegans are always chasing, you know, meat substitutions when, you know, when I think of a vegan or vegetarian diet, I think about, cool, yeah, you can definitely take advantage of every single vegetable right. that's out there and overload on vegetables and get all the nutrients and vitamins that you want. But when you're a vegan strictly to chase down non-meat bacon, then there's a little problem that we're <laughs> talking about, we're trying to figure out. So I definitely think, you know, veganism in terms of 
incorporating more fruits and vegetables that you're not normally going to consume throughout your diet is great. Um, there's going to be definitely, yeah. you know, B12 deficiencies that we're going to look at certain protein deficiencies mm -hmm. that you're going to have to definitely adjust for. Um, I think we see a lot of, you know, iron, um, the drop in iron levels, but you know, as long as you know, those things are coming and as long as you can accommodate for those things, I think even incorporating two or three <clears throat> plant-based diets is, is good, but for somebody to just, Colter, I guess colter is not even the right term because there's no meat involved. You <laughs> go vegan is it, it's the toughest thing that for someone to do. And I think, like you said, social media is one of the biggest things right now that's causing it. Well, well, and it probably much like the keto diet, it probably exposes a lot of the junk you're eating. You know, it probably sh it probably shows you how much cheese, pizza, you know, burgers, and these things that you're eating. And you're like, wow, actually, you know, I'm eating quite a bit of trash. And I and and from from what I understand, you know, most people feel when they start the keto, vegan diet, they start probably feeling better initially because they're mainly because they're just not consuming as much of the stuff they were consuming before. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I got a lot of people a little, I, if somebody's thinking about diets to begin with, I think they're under consuming carbohydrates to begin with anyway, because they're scared that they're going to gain weight and they kind of try to wow. do a diet on their own, especially with females. You know, we'll see a lot of females that are trying to kickstart diets on their own before they reach out to a, a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're like, hey, listen, I'm only eating, you know, 60 grams of carbs or 50 grams of carbs, which is slightly out of keto range. But um, they're at a point where when you do introduce something like a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet, you know, the, the primary source is carbohydrates at that point. So mm -hmm. they feel so much better because they go from, you know, 50 grams of carbs to maybe 120, 130 grams of carbs where they're like, well, I, I didn't know I had this energy. I don't have to pass out in the middle of my orange theory class today. You know, um, and <laughs> I think that's what opens a lot of people's eyes. And like you said, from keto too, when you come abroad to you know, eating vegetables and certain things that you mm -hmm. are like, okay, maybe this is healthier for me to eat rather than leaving the stuff out. That's, it's a huge eye opener. Would would you say that vegans and vegetarians are more, aside from the standard American diet, you know, or the sad diet, aside from that, would you say vegans and vegetarians are more prone to consuming higher levels of glucose and sugar, mainly because maybe mainly fructose through fruit? Um, you know, because I, from what I hear and people I've talked with is, you know, the overconsumption of fruit initially is becomes big, right? So there's lots of apples and grapes and pineapples and things like that. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I think there's two different, you know, vegan and vegetarian approaches. Um, and if it's somebody who's social media driven vegan, um, then we're definitely going to see that because they're going to be constantly juicing and constantly, you know, having those smoothie bowls and having certain things that are just right. overload of fructose. Um, but if it's somebody who, you know, really does the research going into it and they know that, you know, more of the fiber and more of the, you know, certain nutrients and mostly micronutrients are going to be the most beneficial part of a vegan diet then we may not see that as much as, you know, the social media driven crowd. So, yeah. Yeah. And there are lots of different social media accounts with vegans. And, and the truth is, you know, bowls of fruit look appealing and <laughs> Instagram's a visual, <laughs> it's a visual website. And so when you click on a big bowl of, you know, you see these various fruits with these acai bowls, you're like, wow, look at that. And, you know, if they post a bunch of parsnips, it's just not the same, dude. Yeah. It's not as appealing. So, <laughs> so, um, what about some of these book diets? You know, there's a lot of these various books. Everyone's got a new plan. Whole30 is really popular. You know, you and I met in Utah. The Whole30 folks, they're from Utah. Give me your yeah. thoughts on that. I know a lot of friends that are doing this Whole30 diet and this phenomenon. 
Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick out of all the books, I would definitely say Whole30 has the most you know, beneficial lessons to be taken out of it. There's a lot of education involved in that book. Um, so, you know, why do I, do I love the Whole30 diet? Sure, for the fact that it, you know, focuses on GI inflammation so much, um, and it focuses on the little things that can extend longevity so much. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, if I could, going back to like my elementary school version, if I could rip pages out of every single one of these diet books and put together a diet that's a hybrid of everything, I think there's beneficial stuff in everything. And, you know, if I was to look at that ultimate book that I put together, I think Whole30 would have the most pages that make up that book. Um, just mm-hmm. because for the sheer fact that, you know, it, it leaves out a lot of the processed stuff that we're talking about. Um, a lot of the ingredients are super clean. A lot of the ingredients are, you know, as basic as it gets. So I think, you know, with paleo, with Whole32, one of the biggest things we look at is if you grab an ingredient and you look at the label, is there, you know, one or two things written on that label only? And it's not just this, you know, textbook of ingredients that we can't even pronounce. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, being able to just, again, eliminating so much of that junk you continually eat and put yourself on something that gives you straight, clean food, allows you to kind of introduce things back in that are maybe problematic for you. Yeah, it's fantastic. One of the issues I have with a vegan diet um, is the idea that, you know, Lay's potato chips are vegan. And when I meet a lot of vegans, you know, they eat a lot of, yeah, they eat Oreos and they eat and then they, and they, they scoff at me for having a delicious grass fed steak while they, you know, they're, yeah eating Oreos. And I'm just like, ah, I'm so confused. The whole 30 diet doesn't seem to have that sort of problem, right? It doesn't have the, you know, the same, you know, you can eat trash on the whole 30 diet. That's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I I loved whole 30 initially for the title that, you know, it came out saying, you know, whole, and when people Mm -hmm. look at something that, you know, that, that pushes whole food and whole consumption, um, it just, it's the whole package in one. So when you talk about it like that, I, I feel like I'm, pitching a book for Whole30 here, but, you know, <laughs> to talk about whole food, and it, I think that's an approach that we have to start taking people, you know, back to, and I feel like we've completely circled around, so it was whole foods to begin with, and then we drifted into like, hey, you know, what's quick food, what's social media-driven food, and now we're coming back to whole food again, so to push ingredients that are wholesome, to push ingredients that are, you know, on a plate, straight from farm to table, um, yeah. it, it's awesome that, you know, whole food, or whole 30 and paleo pushes that perspective. Yeah, and there's actually a few restaurants that are kind of adopting the Whole30 philosophy as they produce their restaurant menus. And so I've been to a few of those recently where, you know, these are Whole30 restaurants, essentially. Which, I, mean, I don't know if that's part of their business model or what, but to be able to say, hey, everything here is going to be whole food. It's going to be from the ground. It's going to be organic. It's going to be high quality. Um, awesome. and, and, and you could bring your kids there or your, you know, your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever, your mom and dad to a place where, you know, they're going to get healthy food. Um, it's hard to know when you're going out to eat these days, if you're going to, it's yeah. just going to be a healthy option. Yeah. And that's awesome that they're putting that out there for you know, people to expose yeah. themselves to, even if they haven't been exposed to it before. So, oh, for sure. For sure. I got to ask you about my favorite diet to oh, watch right. videos on, on YouTube that if it fits your macros, you know, because I'm a huge fan of Pop-Tarts and ice cream sandwiches. And so I'm hoping you're going to tell me that I can eat those as long as my macros line up. What do you uh, think? I mean, as crazy as it sounds, man, I think a lot of the nutrition coaching that I do is based off of macros as well. Um, but it's to an extent, you know, it, numbers look great on paper. Numbers drive a lot of the progress. But it, I'm always going to have that clinical side of it. You know, I didn't do 
four years of grad school for no reason to tell somebody, hey, listen, just meet these numbers and we'll talk statistics and everything's going to be okay. Um, so it's, you know, how do you clean up the way you fill those numbers as much as you can while you hit those numbers? So sure, if we put ourselves in a caloric deficit, that's when we're going to see a weight loss. I'm um, sure if we give ourselves adequate calories, that's when we're going to see our, you know, better marathons or better triathlons and just certain training abilities. But to tell somebody, hey, listen, you know, if it fits your macros, you know, here's 2,500 calories for you to hit. Let's talk at the end of the day. You're going to have the idiot who hits 2,500 calories with some, you know, monster breakfast followed by, you know, say, again, going back to those acai bowls, you know, you'll hit an acai bowl. That's like 1,600 calories in some of them. So you're going to have wow. a dude who comes back and he's like, dude, this diet's not working for me because I'm starving by 3 p.m. And then you're going to have somebody who bends food volume so much by eating, you know, vegetables that are like, you know, peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes, just to fill their stomach up and extend that 2,500 calories out mm -hmm. that it, I think if it fits your macros, draw such a, a broad line for people to tackle that it, it, it creates more confusion than education. Well, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, again, YouTube, such a popular, you know, this will be, this video is on YouTube, right? So there's all these popular the videos catch on so quick. One of the things that catch on is, these, you know, these IFYM, if it fits your macros videos where guys are like, I've got 800 calories left. I've got, you know, 200 or 180 carbs, whatever it is. And so let's go grocery shopping. And then they come back with like uh, skinny cows, like, like eight skinny cows and, and they're yeah. squeezing in so much food. Um, and they're eating and quite honestly, they're eating like that all the time. You know, this isn't like, Hey, you know what? You know, I'm going to have a nice cheat meal today or even every other day, every single day is a, a bowl of crunch berries and a mixed with some protein and a pop tart. And, and so you've got to wonder about the long-term effects of having so, so much of that one synthetic oil, you know, a lot of these sunflower oils, canola oil, soybean oils, and a lot of this, these packaged foods and what that might be doing to people, but then also just without any regard for food quality. So it sounds like you're saying, hey, there's some merit here in watching your macros, but when you're just abusing that process, that's when you get into trouble. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, that 99% of the coaching that I do is macro driven, but there's never a point where I'm going to say, hey, listen, you know, here are your macros and, you know, go run off to the wolves and we'll talk to, you know, to each other when noontime comes around and see how much you've met. So I think, you know, especially with the stronger you program, I think there's a huge difference between, you know, counting macros with that program versus something that's just a, you know, free reign if it fits your macros, because one has a lot of education behind it on how you can fill those macros in a nutritious way. And I think the term of, you know, if it fits your macros is, you know, Hey, how much can I squeeze into a, you know, say a smart car that is just going to be, you know, within that. that <laughs> <thing>. So <laughs> no, that's, it's, it's totally, it's totally true because like, again, no one's here saying don't eat some good food. Don't enjoy a donut every now and then don't, no one's saying anything like that. But when you're always enjoying donuts and every, every carb you get is from a donut, um, that's when you're going to begin to get into trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always say find balance, man. It's it, right. It, again, like you said, you know, going back to social media, if I do it, I I'm expecting every single one of my clients to do it too. You know? So if I'm out there eating donuts and you know how much I love donuts, it's, of it's course. one of those things that, you know, it's how do I find a balance in eating that donut and making sure that the rest of my day is not necessarily just 
you know, figuring out that say that donut's 15 grams of fat and about 45 grams of carbs. How do I build a day that, you know, takes those out of the equation and I fill the rest of my macros for the day? Sure. I'm going to look at it like that because I want to see numbers on paper, but at the same time, I'm, I also want myself and my clients to think about the fact that, you know, Hey, that donut really didn't have too much of a, you know, a, a nutrient profile. So how do I eat those remaining macros in a way that, you know, I could still meet hundred percent of my you know, daily values with a lot of the vitamins, with a lot of the fiber um, and just a certain micronutrients. Left. Yeah. All right. I got to ask you, I, I didn't have this one on the list pre-show, but it brought, you know, the YouTube talk brought to light another one of my favorite YouTube diets and that's OMAD diet, the, the one meal a day diet where these guys will go, okay, I've got all my calories, you know, and I've got all my macros, but I'm only going to eat it one meal a day. And so I can squeeze in whatever I want. What are your thoughts on that? And maybe you can talk a little about intermittent fasting because that's essentially yeah, maybe what it's part of. Yeah, I was going to say, man, intermittent fasting is something we definitely see a lot. Um, and a lot of people do come from intermittent fasting to uh, more of a macro counting, but in a not so much a, if it fits your macros way, but more of like, a, you know, a more educational way that we do it with Stronger You. It's like, you know, I think with uh, intermittent fasting, people limit themselves to such a short window to hammer down calories. I think, you know, intermittent fasting, when you think about, you know, fasting through religion, say it's Ramadan, or you fast while you're in the military because you're you know, out in the field for 16 hours or 18 mm -hmm. hours, your body is so in tune with what's happening at that point that you adjust to those. But, you know, for somebody to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm having, you know, intermittent fasting is my approach. But when I sit down for that corporate meeting, I just, I can't even think straight because I'm in such a mental fog. <laughs> um, I think, and that's what, you know, it, it blows my mind because I'm like, hey, listen, if you're eating your 1600, your 1800, your 2000 calories within that window of time, one, you're going to be so thrown off by the fact that, you know, your consumption window is only two hours out of the day. But you're also going to be thrown off by the fact that, you know, your body for the next four, five, six hours is going to spend so much fuel on trying to digest that massive meal that you've just eaten <laughs> that, you know, six out of the eight cylinders are going to be spent on trying to digest that. And you're only going to have two cylinders to run on mentally for the rest of the day. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because intermittent fasting is popular. I've done it myself. I've, I've partaken in it. I really like intermittent fasting. I don't like intermittent fasting all the time. Um, I certainly don't. I wouldn't advocate anyone to have one meal a day, um, at least, especially, you know, not someone who is just, you know, a regular person. I want to lose some weight. And I looked up OMAD and I'm going to just, you know, try this for months on end. You know, one of the things that I think happens a lot with a lot of these different diets, whether it's ketogenic diet or anything that's really, really uh, strict is people get eating disorders. Um, and, and, and we kind of forget that actually there's a psychological and you brought it up before, but there's a psychological component to this and people can get so in their heads. And I know this does occur more with women, but it does happen with men where people can just have a really unhealthy relationship with food. Have you seen this at all in your coaching? Uh, yeah, man, I, I definitely think that unhealthy relationship with food is something that comes pretty often. I think, you know, with intermittent fasting, like you said, it's the, the scariest part is that people think about what their caloric consumption was beforehand. Um, you know, say it's you and I are eating, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 calories. For me to say, let's go into intermittent fasting without any education behind it. And, you know, between, I guess, 
10 o'clock in the morning and 12 at noon, um, I have to meet 3000 calories. That is going to put so much tension on your body that, you know, you, you're three or four days, you're going to realize that you're doing something wrong, but mm -hmm. without the education piece and without the coaching piece, I think after that is where it starts going south. I think people start getting into, into the perspective that, Hey, listen, maybe 3000 calories isn't right. Maybe because I'm only eating two hours out of the day, I should pull that back to like a thousand calories. Mm. And that's so wrong on the other side of the spectrum because <laughs> you have this, you know, 200 plus pound guy eating a thousand calories and sure with guys, you know, we might just feel an energy deficit or a depletion where we just, we don't feel like we have the energy, but with females, mm -hmm. you have the same thing where if you already have a female who's eating 1200 calories because they're scared to eat essentially, um, and then you put intermittent fasting where it cuts them back to a third of that, you're going to have somebody who's eating 400 calories. That's going to put them in such a hard place yeah. with an eating disorder that they're going to come out and say that, oh, but I ate 400 calories for, you know, two years out of my life. Why are you giving me a thousand calories now? Which even at that point, I'm like, a thousand calories is scary low for you to be able yeah. to. Um, and I think they, they just, that drills such a, a, a thing in their head that it's like, I, I don't know, it, it, it makes it very difficult to pull them out of that, uh, not necessarily eating disorder at that point, but just a disorder with looking at that number and not feeling right about it. And even though they want to commit to it, they just, they can't commit because they're scared and they, you know, go into it with a bias. You know, I think I've been there before where you've, you know, I've had to diet up and diet down for so many different things over my years playing sports and, you know, getting that, that psychological misrelationship with, with maybe not even food, but like that number that either that protein number, the calorie number, the carb number, whatever it is. And you see it and you go, man, I can't believe I failed again. And there's this sort of psychological abuse you're giving yourself. And so, man, as a coach, you have a tough job just to, to break people out of that, that sort of like prison of an unhealthy relationship, not even maybe not even with food, but with these these sort of numbers. Yeah. And I mean, that as soon as he said fail, I threw up a red flag because that's the term we never want to see. You know, it's a, you're never it's failing good. as long as you're thinking about food and as long as you're thinking about what you're eating, you're never failing. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, we, even as coaches, you know, we, we think about when spring, summer comes, we're like, okay, yeah, maybe I want to look better. Maybe it's, I, dude, I, I don't know why I keep circling back to social media with this, but maybe this is when people are going to see more, you know, shirtless pictures of me on social media. So yeah, to make sure that I market myself well, and to make sure that, you know, the exposure is better. Maybe this is when I start cutting a little bit of weight and, you know, we're just creatures of habit at this point that regardless of if we want to do it or not, we, we end up doing it that way. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, you know, when winter comes around, when, you know, heavier workload comes around where it, in, you know, in reality, I would say, Hey, listen, let's bump up calories a little bit to pull a little bit of cortisol levels down. Let's pull some stress off of your body. Mm -hmm. But people are so stuck in, you know, the, the July, August weight that they've been, you know, shirtless and feeling amazing about. Mm -hmm. That when you give them that kind of leeway to, to clear their head and to clear that stress and, you know, punch through that mental fog, they get to a yeah. point where they're like, but dude, I'm gaining weight. What the hell? You know? <laughs> well, speaking of social media, um, I don't know if you saw Adele lost a ton of weight, recently hosted Saturday Night Live, and she looks amazing. It's fantastic to see. But there was a huge you know, kind of backlash on social media, which is crazy to think about that someone who, you know, felt like they were overweight, lost a ton, 
of way. And now she's being ostracized, you know, like, where's this, where's the kind of, uh, you know, quote, fat acceptance uh, for, for your body, Adele? What would you say about this? I mean, what, what are your thoughts overall? And then just what, what should we make of this? I mean, as a social media culture, as people? Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's funny you asked that because I was looking at that USA Today article with a couple of friends mm. uh, probably about three or four weeks ago at this point. You know, you have, uh, I think it's Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect that's in there too. Yeah. But then, you know, if we zoom out of that for a second, you know, you got Al Roker, you got, you know, Kelly Clarkson, <laughs> Jonah Hill. Uh, there's so many people do. Wendy Williams, John Goodman. You yeah. think about every single person, you know, you got Jordan Sparks who's lost 50 pounds in I think what, 18 months. Right. Uh, you have... I'm trying to think who else there's just, there's so many dude, you know, Al Roper had gastric bypass, but he went down to you know, almost 190 pounds. And, you know, to maintain that it's a, a, a nutrition phenomenon on its own. Um, and then yeah. you know, Jennifer Hudson who lost about 80 pounds. Um, it's right. I, I think the biggest thing is these people actually do a lot of work and they have a lot of focus that goes into the, the wellness perspective and a lifestyle pr- perspective and change of it that you know we we don't see it because they're you know celebrities and they're so driven by media that you know i think adele said something as far as you know what she was doing with the diet but it was just you know some of the things that she was taking notes from um there's the article right there um and you know as soon as she said something people pitched it to a perspective that they were like hey listen you know she did this that's why we're seeing it and i don't know if that's safe um, so right. I, think, I, I don't know. I think with celebrities, I think people just make it, you know, how do you peg that person to not do it the right way mm-hmm. when they actually do do it the right way? And that's when, you know, that makes social media so difficult with that. It's, it's, it gets dangerous, especially for lots of young, young people that, you know, really don't have the experience with the sort of criticism that is out there. And so there's criticism for being, you know, fat and overweight or obese or whatever it may be. Uh, whatever someone decides to call somebody, but there's also uh, an equal amount of shame. It seems for people that have lost weight and have tried to try to better themselves. And so it's a really fine line to walk. There really is, does need to be a, this level of, of maturity to be able to, to be able to deal with social media on a regular basis. So I imagine as, you know, as a coach that gets a little dangerous, like it's a little spotty and, and, and difficult dealing with people. And so again, that brings me back to why it's so important to have coaches, to have accountability, to have counsel, uh, friends in your life that you're doing this with, because it's just so crucial that you can kind of overcome some of the noise out there. For sure, man. And I think, you know, lucky enough, we're getting to a point where, you know, strong, beautiful, and like, you know, a lot of the things that we're starting to see, you know, social media shift to, um, you know, Mm -hmm. give more credit for, you know, women with the body that they have, the strong body that they have, you know, having a little bit of weight is not a bad thing. And, you know, social media, right just, you know, models and everything have painted this picture for so long that being underweight was, you know, the ideal weight. But I I think you're starting to have a lot more education behind even the celebrities who do it that are educating the the youth that's coming into it. So, you know, one of the examples that I give that's not in that article, but Jordan Sparks, you know, who Mm -hmm. she lost, I think it's like 52 or 54 pounds over 18 months. One of the biggest things that, you know, whether she realized it or not, when she was talking about her diet, she said that, you know, the biggest reason I lost this kind of weight is because I didn't put emphasis on my waist size or what size jeans I was wearing. I put my emphasis on a healthier lifestyle. Mm. And I think that's what people need to start seeing, you know, before they start 
pegging on somebody for saying, oh, why'd you lose that weight? Because social media puts a stress on you that you were always, you know, the, the heavier set person in that crowd. Um, but, you know, for those people to come out and say, hey, no, I, I did it because when I go to the doctor next time, I want to make sure my blood panel comes back well. You know, if it's mm-hmm. with Adele, I want to make sure, you know, hey, hey I, I want to live longer. I want to hit, you know, a, a longer career that I don't have to keep worrying about, you know, my health or, you know, just anything being on the line. And I think, you know, I don't want to bring pandemic or anything into it too, but I think people need to realize that, you know, the longer we can stretch the idea of, you know, you're doing this for a healthier you and for a less prevalent, you know, to disease or to any kind of health issue you, um, is the the more success you're going to have with it and the less people are going to peg on you about it for you doing it. Yeah, Deion Sanders has this little uh, phrase he he does. He does like the, you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good kind of phrase. Yeah. You know, I really, yeah. I really do. First of all, that's amazing. Second, and he's right. Second, I mean, really, it come, if you eat good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you, you know, you, you know, you begin to look good. I mean, I really feel like that's kind of how it works. And if you think about it even too, like there's so much with social media in terms of, you know, airbrushing your face. And then even with makeup, we're trying to manufacture this sort of glow that we're like a healthy, vibrant person. But, you know, if we begin to eat healthy and eat the way, you know, we were, we were created to eat the way our biologically we function properly and we were able to eat this way, we begin to kind of exhibit some of those, those traits, that sort of glow, that sort of alertness, sleeping better. And then you begin to look good. You begin to be attractive to other people. But I think you can't put the cart before the horse and manufacture kind of looking good with like these crash diets or obviously yeah. even worse, you know, some sort of manipulation online. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, in order for you to complete the circle of, you know, just health and wellness, I think it has to be every single puzzle line, you know, puzzle piece that, that gets lined up. And I think 99% of the time, the biggest flaw is everybody tries to, you know, skip step two and three and jump from step one to four. Um, and that's when, that's when it becomes the most, difficult piece so it's you know for somebody to say like hey listen i i want to just do what i do now and still play good you know Mm -hmm. i want to get on the field and just play like the best athlete i've ever been if you're not taking the precautionary steps that are going to get you there i can assure you 99 percent of the time somebody (laughs) else is a far better athlete than you because they are doing those steps you know it's Mm -hmm. not even nutrition you think about you know the 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 sports performance side of if you have somebody that's you know foam rolling that's stretching that's putting more time on self-care that's getting massages, going to a chiropractor. It's hitting all of the check marks on the way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys might play the same on the field for that one game, but they're going to have so much more longevity than you and consistency yeah. in how they perform um, than you just in that, you know, one night to shine. So We're kind of coming up on time here, man, and I want to ask this question, so I have to get it off. Every Every show I usually ask everybody two or three things that someone listening can do within the next week to perform better, to live longer, to have a better life. If you have somebody in the, in those shoes, it's asking that question. What are, what are a few things you can say to them? Oh man, that's a loaded question. Listen to more of your podcasts. Is that one of the answers? There you go. All right. That's enough of this one. We're good. That's enough. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But if I have to throw three, uh, I guess three tips for a healthier version of themselves. Um, I would definitely say water, um, water consumption. That's, that's one, it's such a silly little thing. We hear mm-hmm. somebody say, just say, drink more water. 
I feel like we think about our, you know, our parents and our grandparents were like, right, um, <laughs> I'm drinking adequate water. What's the deal here? Um, but to just make it a habit to drink, you know, 16, 20 ounces of room temperature water, just when you get up to flush everything out of your system and drink enough water throughout the day, even if that means, you know, you get as meticulous as setting alarms or reminders on your phone to reach for your water bottle. Um, I think that's one of the biggest steps that a lot of people don't do. And we see a lot of the stress and the headaches and the anxiety linked to dehydration. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I would say. Um, the second check mark that I would say is sleep more. It, it kind of goes in hand in hand with the anxiety and stress too. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but Why We Sleep by Matt Walker um, is an outstanding yes. book. Um, so I think a lot of people don't sleep enough or just mm -hmm. don't sleep well enough. Um, that it, it, it circles back to everything. So like we said, you know, hit the check marks on the way to make sure you're that, that freak athlete. Sleep is one mm -hmm. of the biggest check marks there. So if you miss that mark, there's no way you're going to give me anything more than 85%. So I think that's the second one. Um, and if I had to put a third one on the board, I would say this is crazy and this is just a habit that I do, but buy a post-it notepad. Um, it's like a $2 investment at that point, but every single morning, just set a goal or an intention for today and just mm -hmm. write it down in that post-it notepad so that you know when you set these goals, the biggest thing to do is just make sure you watch your tone in how you set that goal. And this okay. I circle back to Atomic Habits by James Clear. You know, it's mm -hmm. one of my favorite books, and one of those books that'll just constantly remind you of you know why you're doing everything you're doing. Um, so think about the tone that you set when you write those notes. So be intentional with it. Mm -hmm. So you know, going back to the book, it's like. You know, I'm trying to quit smoking versus I don't smoke. Like when you write a note, write a note that says like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm doing this, not I'm yeah. trying to do this. Because at that point, you're, you know, you half efforting it. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's your third step. Set your goals for today and intention for today so that when you come home and you look at that post-it note that's on your fridge, you're like, dude, I crushed today. And you throw that post-it out and tomorrow's a fresh day to, you know, take that 1%, you know, progression. Yeah, I'll throw a link for um, Why We Sleep and Atomic Habits in the show notes for people if they're interested uh, in that. But other than that, Sanan, when, where can people know more about you, hear more about you? Can they sign up with you? What, How can they get a hold of you online? Absolutely, man. Uh, if they go on social media, um, they can go and find me on social media under Dr. Synonymous. Um, it's just DR underscore Synonymous. Um, if they want to go and check out the program, um, I do work for Stronger You. Um, again, we're essentially, the biggest goal for us is just selling better lives. Um, we're, we're trying to fix every single person out there and we have a huge impact on society. So I think if they go on the Stronger You website and see every single coach on there, um, super, super good website. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, anywhere that they can reach out to, um, if they want to shoot me an email, they can always shoot me an email at sanonatstrongeryou.com. If there's any nutrition question, anything they need help with, um, just feel free to send it my cool. way. Like I said, you know, it's it's an organic connection. It's I'm not going to be the person to say like, hey, listen, talk to my you know my administrator, and if the email gets to me, I'll, it'll get to me. Um, I'm here to help you guys out. So the biggest thing is awesome. know, just reach out if you have a question. If it's even like, hey, this looks horrible, should I eat it? I'll probably just say no, and that's it. So. And if you want to get Sanan on your podcast, all you have to do is text him. He'll show up just like you did for me. So, hey, Sanan, man, I appreciate you being on, taking the time. I know it's late over in Turkey, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your time.